Jane Jacks. <laughs> or greet one another if you'd like to do that. Let's do that. Give me some burpees. Good morning. <clears throat> I, I wanted to um, start off with a question, and this is just for uh, basically a little over a year, about a year and a half from now, uh, anticipating that um, the Lord will take care of things in Israel. Um, <clears throat> you know, we had made plans to go to Israel. It was earlier this year, and initially we had I think upwards of like over 20 people who were interested in going to Israel. And that was, that was then. Uh, but then what happened was that the funds could not be um, guaranteed to be refunded to you if, uh, if there was another uh, outbreak of COVID and and uh, flights were canceled and all that, but all it would do is it would really be rescheduled is what it would be, and that's what would happen with some. But anyway, um, that caused many people to fall away, <laughs> and um, so um, we ended up having, what, a group of four, five, four? Was it four? Yeah, four go. So I'm going to ask for 25 how many, and just let me know after service, how many of you, or you can go to the information table and let them know, and they'll take a tally of it, how many of you would be interested in going to Israel in 2025, okay? So 20, okay, well, by show of hands, just right now. Okay, a number of you. All right. So did you take a note of that? You, you got, we got, we got them on. We got them on video, recorded. Let your yes be yes, your no. No, no just, uh, just let us know. Because what, what we're doing is we're preparing a trip and not going with someone, but hosting it ourselves. So um, I would be teaching in the various locations and walking you through um, those locations and basically being at a location and teaching as it has to do with scripture in the moment. It's like it's absolutely amazing when, when you participate in that and you're there and you experience that yourself. So, anyway, that's uh, that's in 2025. So make sure that you go back to the information table and uh, and let us know. All right. So please open your Bibles to Luke chapter nine. We are in Luke chapter nine. The title of this morning's message is, But Who Do You Say That I Am? This is a question that was posed to the twelve, uh, the disciples who were named apostles. This was the question that was posed to them. Uh, and this was, um, 
after they had been sent out, after they had experienced all the miracles, I mean, all kinds of things. And they were asked this question by Jesus. So we'll look at that. Uh, but we'll start off by reading Luke chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the, king, the, the gospel and healing everyone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for your word, for the, really just the uh, privilege of being here in this place as your people Lord, we know it's for a purpose. We desire to draw closer to you, to understand your word. And Lord, for your spirit to do a work in our hearts in this very moment. Lord, we uh, may have gone through this passage multiple times. And yet your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we ask with that known, Lord, that you would perform perhaps a surgical process, procedure on us this morning on some hearts that need some work by you, by the hand of the potter, in molding us and shaping us into something that reflects your glory a little bit more. For those who lack faith, Father, I ask that you would increase our faith. For those who need just a gentle hand of comfort and ministering, Lord, that you would do that. But that in every way, Lord, you would glorify yourself. Lord, us simply being open, Lord, to whatever it, has, it is that you have for us this morning. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands. Lord, we ask your blessing and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we consider today's text... We'll see how Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, whom he also named apostles. He sent, and he sent them out to preach the gospel and to heal everywhere they went. We'll go on from there and we'll see how it is that this governor by the name of Herod was baffled as to who Jesus was. In that moment, he was baffled. He was perplexed. He didn't understand who he was. Jesus goes down to a town called Bethsaida. And you're familiar with the story. He spoke to the multitudes. And in that moment, as he spoke to the multitudes about the kingdom of God and healed many in that, in that day, the, the, the day was, was far spent. It was getting a little late. And so it was in that moment that he sat them all down and fed the 5,000. We're familiar with these stories, right? disciples in that time had just come back from having been sent out what we just read it was when they came back that they witnessed the feeding of the 5,000 the teaching 
of Jesus. As he had told them to go proclaim the kingdom of God, so it is that he was doing the very same thing. And then he performed another miracle. Multiplying the five loaves of bread and the two fish. But then he goes on from there. And he has the twelve around him. And after he got done praying, he asks them this question. Number one, it was two. One, he said, uh, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered him. And we'll see that in a few moments. But he asked a second question. It was a follow-up question. And perhaps the first one was a setup for the second one. But who do you say that I am? As we consider what we have before us, we ought to think about the fact that Jesus sent out those who were closest to him, his disciples, the ones that he had assigned the position of apostleship. And he had sent them out into a world that believed that Jesus was perhaps John the Baptist, perhaps Elijah, or perhaps a resurrected prophet of old. The world was not sure. Jesus knew that this is the world in which he sent his disciples into to preach the kingdom of heaven. And then we have Herod, knowing he was a wicked man. He was a Roman ruler, a governor, who sought to kill Jesus at some point. But in this moment, he was curious about him for what he had heard of him. And then Jesus, after having preached the kingdom of God and feeding the 5,000, asked his disciples that important question. After all of this, and we've gone through, I mean, this is chapter 9, so we've gone through other portions, other events to where he's um, cast demons out of people. He is healed. He is uh, given sight to the blind. Resurrected even. Performing this miracle, and then he asks them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And these are Jesus' closest disciples. If you think about it, it's almost offensive. He was so close to his crucifixion, so it hasn't been a short amount of time that they've been walking with him. They've been walking with him for some time. I'm thinking this could have been just, I don't know what kind of heart this fell on as far as the disciples were concerned. We know that they didn't have things right all the time prior to his resurrection and his ascension. So you could think perhaps... It was almost offensive. Imagine being married for 20 years. Having your spouse ask you, who, who do you say that I am? What, what kind of question is that? There's more to that question, though. It's not just, you're my, you're my wife, you're my husband. There's more to that question. Don't lose that. This perhaps is something to think about in your marriage right now. Your boss asks you, after 10, 20 years, you know what you're doing, right? You think you do, but 
Your boss asks you, do you really know what you're doing? Really thought about it? Some people, I would say, do not know what they're doing, but, I, you know. But these are the questions that could be offensive. You know, really, you should know. You should be in the right place. You ha- should have just the right perspective, you know. But it should actually cause pause, introspection. Kind of like t- taking an inventory. I may know who my spouse is intellectually, but am I communicating that emotionally, relationally, in an experiential kind of a way? Jesus is asking us uh, just a deeper question, one that is of greatest value, of greatest importance. You see, he wants us all to know him salvifically. But he also wants us to know him relationally, intimately, with absolute faith in who he is and how much he loves us. Without a doubt, I hear too many people still, even today, like this whole deconstruction of your faith and trying to build it back up. It's like, just repent, you know, in that moment. How about you just acknowledge your sin and repent? That's what the Lord calls us to do. Really, from the very beginning, you should have, by the scriptures themselves, the study of God's word, you should have been building a solid foundation upon which you grow from. And then you draw closer to him and he, he wants us to know him salvifically. That is to, to cry out to him as Lord and Savior. But also relationally to where we trust him every day. We walk with him demonstrating that we trust him, that we have faith in him. And the closer we get to him, the less we complain the less we doubt, the less we worry, the less we're anxious about, and the more we long for him. But this only happens when we spend time with him. It cannot happen any other way. There is no other way. You spend time in his word, in prayer, and then the fellowship of the saints. This is the same question that we are being asked today. You know, just as Jesus asked his disciples in that day, so it is, it's the same question that we're being asked today. And yes, even after years of having been saved, we are asked so that we may pause and take inventory, that we would humble ourselves before a holy and righteous God. And ask ourselves, am I in the right place with the Lord? Is my heart right with Him? Because once it's right with Him, then that'll give us everything that we need to be right with each other. 
Sometimes we have it the other way around. We try to do things in our effort, in our own effort and strength, in our own knowledge, you know, as far as repairing things between each other when we really don't even have our eyes fixed upon Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen, even the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 was told that they uh, had abandoned the love they had at first in Revelation 2.4. Imagine that. Another church, the church of Laodicea, was told that they were lukewarm and that they would be spat out if they did not repent. In Revelation chapter 3, you can go through verses 14 through 22. These churches were confronted. These seven churches, you could say, are a reflection of perhaps what we need to consider and we need to heed what the Spirit is telling the church today. That is why when this question is asked of the disciples, we need to take that personally. We need to apply it personally. Who do we say that Jesus is at this very moment? It's a sobering question. In light of perhaps thoughts of this week. The things we've said thought, and done. Because why would we think we are any different? Who we say Jesus is will determine how we live for him or not live for him. That's why it's important as we gather together and we study the scriptures that we ourselves submit ourselves to the authority and the teaching of God and his word. Twelve preachers sent. We'll begin there. Again, verse 1, let's read, says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus called the twelve together. Gave them power and authority over all demons and over all diseases. In fact, what uh, we can't lose sight of this. What this is implying is that Jesus had the, the authority and the power to give to them. You cannot give something that you do not possess yourself. And so this very clearly, he was giving them something that he himself had power and authority over. These 12, Jesus sent out to do two things. Two things. One, proclaim the gospel. Number two was to heal. Two things. That's all you are to do when you go out. Proclaim the gospel, and then you heal. So, let me give you a little bit more of a breakdown as far as uh, some instructions, some details as you go out. These are items uh, to take or not take, actually. Um, take nothing but the clothes you are wearing. 
And then don't take anything extra. Not a second coat. No money. No food. No bag. Nothing. Zero. And then as they go into these towns, he was, he, he was telling them, hey, listen, whoever receives you, stay there. And then as you go there, make that your headquarters pretty much. And then you can depart from there to the other locations and then come back. You know, that's, that's what you do. Now, if you go to someone's house and they do not receive you, a town does not receive you, re- rejects you. Then what you do is dust the feet off the, the dust, uh, dust, the dust off your feet, dust your feet off. <laughs> That's all, folks. Dust your feet off. Can you imagine this? So, Jesus, and this is something, uh, sometimes we, um, uh, we imagine Jesus to be different, right? And we're all guilty of it. We want him really to justify us presently, in, like in the present moment. So we'll only reflect on one part of his character and not on his character as a whole. We want to think of him bringing a child onto his lap. And look how gentle he is, how lowly, how, how humble. But we don't want to reflect on the, the time when he went into the temple and overturned tables and, and literally made a whip and put hands on people. We sometimes think, even, well, when we go out and we witness, you know, there are some that don't receive us. Well, depart. The, the Lord told them to just depart. You see, we often quote God's word not ever returning void as in accomplishing that which he has set forth for it to accomplish, meaning that he'll do what we desire for him to do. Because doesn't he wish that none perish but that all reach repentance? The answer is yes, right? Do all get saved? No, this is just an example, for instance. The very word that is spoken serves either to save or as judgment. So when the disciples were sent out and he told them, proclaim the kingdom of God. Whoever receives you, stay with them. But whoever does not receive you, dust your feet off. For even that will testify against them. It's the very word that you hear. That's why when you hear the gospel the more you reject it, the harder your heart will get. And at some point, the Bible tells us that we have seared consciences that, that, that we can possess to where we no longer feel anything, no conviction of the Spirit. We don't respond to God's Word, let alone the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just going through the motions. Kind of, it's just a ritual, a religion. This is, he was telling them, listen, when you go into a town and they reject you, just dust your feet and keep going. That'll testify against them. 
Remember, though, that these men were, were the very ones that were sent. So they, they, were, they were delegates. They were men authorized by the sender to represent the sender in an official capacity. They were ambassadors, men who acted on behalf of the sender, being a promoter of the sender's message and will, and not their own. They didn't have that, the liberty to proclaim their own will, their own desires, not even their own opinions. They were given a simple task to proclaim the arrival of the Messiah. He is here. You know, John the Baptist, uh, he, he prepared the way for the Lord. And now we have these 12 that, in essence, are doing that work that John the Baptist was, was doing. Prepare the way. Prepare their hearts. Proclaim the kingdom of God. The Messiah has arrived. He is here. Jesus, the... Uh, when he first began to preach, he, printed, he, he preached repentance. He said, repent and believe. Repent and believe. And so it is that they, they were sent out to do the very same thing. Jesus was telling them, some will believe and others will not believe. Walk away from those who don't, stay with those who do. It was simple, right? A simple task with simple instructions. And this is what I love. Sometimes we're the ones that complicate it. You know, well, what do we do? Well, go proclaim the gospel. Well, you need to know the gospel in order to proclaim it. What is that? Well, that we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not one. And in our sin is what separates us from the Father. But God made a way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Oh, so that's why Jesus went to the cross. Yes, that's why he went to the cross. The unblemished Lamb of God, and by his shed blood, was a full payment for our sins. And if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's only Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if I just believe on him, yes, salvifically, genuinely crying out to him, he says all things will become new. He'll give you a new heart, a new hope, a new purpose. You got to know the gospel. To know those verses and then with that, speak with people. In that moment, the Lord will give you those things to speak. But you got to commit. You got to commit to memorizing, to learning, to knowing these things. I mean, these are basic, basic foundational things. Jesus did not make an allowance for personality types. 
of the 12, you have a whole range of personalities. I mean, someone could have said, that's not my thing, right? Don't you think of the 12? Someone would have said, that's, that's not my thing. That's not what I'm comfortable with. Oh, is that what, <laughs> is that what Jesus is calling us to? Pray about it. Whatever is comfortable for you, go ahead and do it. He's not. He's calling us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Yeah, so in other words, we don't, we don't acknowledge, you know, our own wants and needs. Remember, we're, we belong to him. We've been purchased with the lifeblood of Jesus Christ. We no longer belong to ourselves, but to him. We need to start acting that way. These 12 were sent out and simply given these commands. This is what you are to do in this manner. Go and do it. You see, these disciples, as we even consider this, they needed to learn how to receive instructions and follow them. How many of you have a problem with receiving instructions? Liars. <laughs> Liars. It's like, it's like that little kid, right? You don't. If your first inclination is, I'm going to stand my position, and I don't, I'm not going to do what I'm being told to do. Eh, wrong. It's you're already prideful. You're filled with pride. You're not humble. You're not teachable. This is the first lesson. These are basic things. Basic things of Christianity. In fact, the word tells us to humble ourselves one to another, be humble toward one another. If we don't learn to be humble toward God, we will never be humble toward each other. We may have this um, false humility, but it's picking and choosing. And it's by our own word, it's not by our actions. They needed to learn how to receive instructions and follow them, to trust in Jesus because they believed in who he was. The more they believed in who he was and who he is, the more they will be inclined to simply trust him. Okay, Lord, I'm going to, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I, I, just, I just trust you. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my friendships, my relationships, my, my service unto you. I trust you with my finances, with my job. I'm, I'm going to entrust everything to you. These men needed to learn this very lesson. But we know that Jesus is sending them out to a world that is in turmoil. You think our day is bad today? They were subjects in the Roman Empire. Now, as I think about it, you know, there's, there's some things that are similar and then just other things that we, we don't know what they were going through, but we certainly aren't experiencing today what they were in that day, at least not here in America. They were described as, as, uh, as sheep who were sent out among wolves. It would be important for them to know who was sending them, and they would believe what they were being sent to do and, and trust that the one who was sending them 
as he's given them power and authority, would have the power and authority to give them to go and do that which they have been called to do. Matthew records greater details regarding Jesus' instructions. And if you're taking notes, you can jot down Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 25. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But again, they won't be able to do this unless they actually consistently trust in Jesus. They were sent with simple instructions. We are too. We need to learn to trust in Jesus. We also have this baffled official. As they were sent out, we have this baffled official. Verse 7, this is Herod. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So in between the sending out of the 12 and the feeding of the 5,000, we have um, just this parenthetical pause here in which we have a note regarding Herod the Tetrarch. And he is baffled by the reports that he was receiving regarding Jesus. Some said that he was John the Baptist. Well, eh, he said, John the Baptist, I beheaded. So who is this? You say that he might be Elijah, one of the old prophets being resurrected to life. Huh. He was attracted to Jesus because of his fame. You want to know who is this person who is increasing in fame within the Roman kingdom? I want to know. Later, as we continue through our study of the Gospel of Luke, we'll see how Herod wanted Jesus dead and how he treated Jesus when he finally met him before his crucifixion. In fact, it was the morning of his crucifixion. We'll see that exchange. There really wasn't any exchange. Jesus, in that moment, he discerned perfectly that he... He owed this man no response whatsoever. We can reflect on that and think back to this moment to where, as far as Herod was concerned, he was wicked. He was a cruel man. And he remained that way until the day of Jesus' crucifixion. But for now, in this moment, Herod was just perplexed, just going on what he had heard from the world Around him, the word was traveling and the same things that Jesus' disciples tell him in a few moments as we'll go there. Uh, Herod is being told about Jesus in this moment as he was asking these questions. Is he a great teacher, a prophet? Who, who really is he? Is he really the Savior? Is he Messiah, the anointed one of God? Listen, you know, even in thinking about Herod and, and how it was that he was confused about who this man was. He didn't know. We should always, in that moment of doubt, in that moment to where perhaps we are perplexed by something about God, always go back to the basics. Like the 12 that were sent, just to do what you've been called to do, going back to what you already know of God and his word. 
Don't get hung up with baffled people. I don't know what it is. About, it seems like we, uh, we're always attracted to the, to, to the shiny things, right? Like, oh, this is exciting. You know, I want to I know more about this. Or, you know, you, you get distracted. Listen, we learn apologetics, how to have dialogue with people and, and defend the faith. But that's not what we get caught up in. This man was, was perplexed. Of course, even he, God wished that he wouldn't perish, but that he would repent and come to salvation. And yet, as we consider what he did with the 12, he told them, hey, those who receive you, receive you, wonderful, stay with them. Those who reject you, just walk away. Explain, pray, and keep going. Present the gospel, pray for them, but keep going. Remember the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil? All of these things you see come together. We've studied these things. They all come together to impart to us wisdom, this knowledge, and then the ability to take this knowledge and apply it rightly in the right moment with the right people in the right situation. Words to live by, the very words from, from the pages of the Bible. So we have Herod, but then we go on to the 5,000 who are fed. In verse 10, it says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are going to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was, was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Listen, we've studied this. In fact, last year, we went through this uh, Mark chapter 6. Uh, we went over um, when Jesus uh, sent the 12. Um, the reason John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod is covered there. And we also went through this, the, the feeding of the 5,000. So for a more detailed study of this account, I would encourage you to go back to that study in Mark chapter 6, and you can go through it. I do want to point out here that the disciples had returned from having been sent by Jesus to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. You see, what we're working through is, again, to the point of Jesus asking that question, but who do you say that I am? It's all of these things. You see, that's why I was reminding you of the, the parable of the seed and the sower. I, I'm reminding you of these things because it all comes together. 
it all should serve to increase our faith, to acknowledge who Jesus is, and then surrender our hearts to him, our lives, and walk with him with great joy in anticipation of what lies before us in him. The disciples have returned from having been sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And it was at this point that Jesus himself in Bethsaida, as the crowds were gathering around him and he welcomed them, began to speak to them of the kingdom of God and was healing them of their infirmities. It was the very thing that Jesus had sent the 12 to go do. He had come back. Now they were seeing... Jesus do the very same thing. And we know what happens here as the day passes and it was getting late. The people were hungry. And then it was the 12 that came to Jesus. It's getting kind of late, Jesus. We're in a desolate place. And I'm sure they're hungry. Uh, In reality, it was probably... They were probably hungry. Right? Maybe they were sincerely concerned about everyone else, but they're hungry. Send them to their town. Send them back into town. And what does Jesus tell them? You give them something to eat. Remember how many people were out there. I mean, and and what's noted is just the men. 5,000. 5,000. You give them something to eat? I mean, those of you who are good at math, you can do the math, you know, uh, 12, 5,000, but we know that there were upwards of maybe 10 to 12, 13, maybe even 15,000 people there, you know, divided by the 12. I, I don't have the money to go buy them food. Nobody does, right? So, but again, this is what Jesus does. He does that with us as well. See, we're thinking logically. The logic, the logic, side of the mind set in with the disciples. Again, keep in mind what they had experienced with Jesus up to this point, what he had done. Perhaps some of you are dealing with your problems right now in a logical way and like, oh, this is what we need to do in order to, uh, you know, make our way through it. When Jesus said, how about, how about you just trust in me as you continue to work through this? I'll work with you. Just trust me. They were thinking logically. We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. Even though Jesus had sent the 12 to proclaim the gospel and heal, they still had to learn about faith. This is what's interesting. They had to learn, number one, how to take instruction. Number two, they had to learn how to trust in Jesus, the very one whom had sent him and given them power and authority over demons and illnesses. He had to learn. They had to learn. C.S. Lewis said this, quote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because, because by it I see everything else, close quote. I see everything else. This is the faith that the 12 had to come to. I'm reminded of the simple and yet profound faith of a couple that is oh, cherished by my wife and I, Jim and June Hesterly. 
they have countless stories of walking by faith in their service to the Lord. I've, I've met their family, and they tell the same stories. They're just trusting in Jesus. Even smuggling Bibles into a country that Jim knew very well that if he was caught, he would be imprisoned. And more than likely, it would cost him his life. A man who, when, as I take counsel from, just simply asks me if it's done by faith, if that's what we're trusting in. We're trusting in what we can see, what we have already. I'm reminded of them. I'm encouraged by them. Listen, we have to come to a faith that knows that Jesus will provide and does provide and has provided everything. Just as he says he will. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The twelve saw how Jesus multiplied the food, and everyone was provided for. In fact, there were some leftovers. Their participation was to do as they were instructed. So Jesus told them, why don't you feed them? But he told them, just, just sit them down. Just sit them down in groups. And then when he took the five loaves and two fish, he prayed over the food, and he gave those baskets to the disciples to spread around and not only did everyone have enough to eat, but they were satisfied. It wasn't just a little bit. It's like, okay, I'll take this little crumb. No, no, no. It, it, what is described here is that they were full. Full and fully satisfied. And then even after that, they took those baskets 12, and then they sat them down. Hmm. Their instruction, just participate. Do what I'm telling you to do, and you will see... Again, the power and authority that I have. Looking to who sent them. Looking to who was telling them to do what they were to do. Just trust in him. You see, Jesus was working to increase their trust in him. Their faith in Jesus because this would ultimately determine their thoughts, their words, and their actions. One day after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus came to Peter and told him too, after he, well, in the process of restoring him, because he had denied him, remember that three times, in the time that he was going to be crucified, and Jesus had even warned him, this is what you're going to do. He said, no. Now, they were on the beach, and Jesus is restoring Peter, and, and he told him to feed and tend to his sheep. Perhaps Peter remembered events such as this one, the one that we are going over right now. Serving to strengthen his faith in Jesus so that he relied not on what he can provide or what he sees, but what Jesus can provide and does. But then we go on to the question. Twelve preachers questioned. 18, verse 18 says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus, um, every time he is uh, described as praying, he, he prays 
by himself. He taught the disciples how to pray, but he would pray alone. And afterwards, as they were together, Jesus asked them this question as to who the crowd say that he was. They, they answered them consistent with what Herod had been explained as we read earlier. Uh, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets that had been brought up from the dead. And I love how Jesus didn't ask these questions because he didn't know, but because the questions he asked would lead to something he desired to teach and for them to understand. That's why he asks these questions. That's why he asked Adam. It was a, it was a question that would lead to his confession. Oh, Adam, where are you? It would lead to confession, just an acknowledgement, because as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we remain stubborn and never get to the point of, okay, Lord, this is how I sinned against you, there's nothing to forgive. There is no confession. By the way, that's the same thing, the same way it works with the husband and wife, with children and parents. It's the same, same thing. Sorry does not cut it. A confession and asking for forgiveness. Why? Because you asked that person. Now, you humble yourself. That's what it requires. It requires humility. So he asked this question, but it was, it was now, you know, as he asked them, who do they, the crowd say that I am? He asked a follow-up question saying, but who do you say that I am? And this question was posed to his disciples, the 12, to men who had been sent to proclaim the kingdom of God, having given power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. These men had heard countless teachings and witnessed many healings and people having been delivered of demonic oppression and possession and even resurrections. Is their view, is your view, is their view in that moment, he was like, is your view any different than the crowd's view, perspective of me? Or would it be the same? Should it be different? If so, why? Again, as we hear what the world says about Jesus and what we know about Jesus, it should be different. But then Jesus answered, or I mean Peter answered Jesus saying, you're the Christ of God. In that statement, he was saying, you are God's anointed. You're God's Messiah. The promised Redeemer. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 53 Verses 4 through 6, as I read for communion, says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is our Savior. That is who Peter was confessing. 
May your convictions about who Jesus is be so strong that there is absolutely no doubt in your heart and in your mind. And by that conviction, you communicate that to others that they may look to you and say, I want to know your God. You, you are... You have integrity. You walk with the Lord and you are steadfast with him. You are not shaken in your faith at all by anything. Make sure you communicate that to others, both in word and also in deed. That his grace and love for you may compel you to live a life in response to that salvation you have come to know in Jesus Christ. Because that is exactly what Jesus desired for those 12 to come to that conclusion. Are you there? Who do you say that Jesus is today? Don't take offense at that question. If there's anything that you need to repent of, then do that today. Confess it. Repent of that. Turn to Jesus. Allow him to soften your heart to draw you once again to him and then walk closely with him, having faith and trust in him, knowing that he'll provide everything you need and he'll give you the words to speak in those moments that he sends you out and gives you those divine appointments. This is your divine appointment. I pray that you would respond accordingly. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Lord, this lesson that we see here in regards to the, the 12 who had walked with you, Lord, for all this time, and yet they were being asked that question. Father, I pray that we would consider that same question. Father, that we would Lord, do inventory on, on our own hearts, Lord. Whatever it is that you reveal, Lord, as we ask you to reveal those things to us, Lord, that we would, we would acknowledge them, Father, and, and, and if there's anything that is not of you, Lord, that we would ask that you would forgive us. You would help us to repent and turn from those things and, and walk with you in a way that is honoring to you. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ salvifically, Lord, that has never cried out to Jesus as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. Knowing that their sins have separated them from you. And that if they simply believe in Jesus Christ that he was sent by you to die on the cross to pay for their sins believing that the shed blood of Jesus Christ did pay in full for their sins and he was resurrected on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father Lord oh, may they find salvation a new heart Lord knowing that they have been redeemed Lord by you May they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they belong to you. But may they repent and cry out to you. And so, Father, I thank you for this moment, for all that you have for us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.